So this episode, as you might have garnered, we have another DreamWorks guest, which means we're mostly going to talk about She-Ra and the body. But let's check in on politics real quick. Uh, as we're recording today, everyone's favorite attractive presidential candidate with the best playlists, uh, but some of the worst ideas dropped out of the Democratic primary. You know who I mean, Lauren? Yeah, it's Beto, uh, Beto, Beto? We all say it differently. I was saying Beto O'Rourke, uh, but I heard NPR say Beto. I think it's Beto. Regardless, uh, the reason I wanted to bring him up is because last season here on our podcast, we were talking about who we thought was going to drop out from the race. He was not my guess. Uh, I thought Pete was going to go faster. But Chris Zamiar, guest and friend of the show, said, Beto really needs to sit down. And then we talked together about the fact that O'Rourke... Uh, is a white guy and <laughs> does not the name Beto is maybe a little misleading in my opinion. So I gotta tell you, first of all, that was two seasons ago. That was the season finale. No. That was reunion, which was Bo's two dads. Heavens. Yeah. So time is endless. <laughs> um, interesting about Pete though is there's there was some news coming out of uh, Iowa polling that. Um, there's been a bit of a shakeup in the Democratic rankings right now. Warren is the favorite in Iowa by quite a bit, followed by Bernie and then Biden. And then pretty close on Biden's heels is Pete, which is quite shocking. Yeah, I'm still not a fan. And that's several people down. That's several people back at the ranks. Yeah, I mean, I I don't disagree. I just I am surprised. Uh, I thought he had a lot of steam when he announced and then lost it. And it seems back. I'm pretty delighted that Joe is behind uh, my two people. I'm I'm pretty pretty hard on Warren, but uh, I also like Bernie. Although I'm a little worried about his health right now. Yes, he uh, had a heart attack. Correct. He since did. our last recording. Yeah, um, seems to have recovered well, and he's back on the trail and back energizing the young. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's this season isn't shaping up the way I thought, but also it's still early, right? And it's just. Because we're all so much more politically conscious now than we were three years ago, everything feels like it's the most important thing. But it's so early in the primary season. Anything can happen in the next year. The other big thing that hit the news today about the primaries was that Elizabeth Warren released her plan for how she intended to pay for single-payer health care. Or uh, I don't know if she's calling it Medicare for all. I don't think she uses that language as much as Bernie does. But uh, the immediate pushback that I'm seeing is that it takes too much from the rich. And uh, gosh, I couldn't care less about that. Yeah. We've talked before about how bogus all of that is, is like a cultural narrative. And uh, yeah, I, I don't shed a tear for these people. No, I can see where the analysts are coming from just in the sense of like, those are the people who control the world because they have so much money that they can bankroll candidates and frankly decide elections from a certain point of view and if a candidate pisses them off then they can basically torpedo themselves but i don't want to live in a world where we're bowing down to rich people in hopes that they'll give us money and not ruin our candidacies that's not what this should be based off of i'm concerned that we already live in that world unfortunately oh yeah oh right right we do (laughs) oh no well and you might have heard the aphorism there's no ethical consumption under capitalism capitalism but on the other hand let's talk about cartoons
Hey everybody, it is season four and this is She-Ra Progressive of Power. My name is Eric. And I'm Lauren. And to be clear, it's season four of She-Ra, season six of us, correct? Y- yes, you have to do N plus two to determine how many seasons we've been active. How much math do you do in your job? More than <laughs> oh, I you, thought. <laughs> you turn this around on me. I do a lot of math in my job. I run a lot of spreadsheets. It's Well, Excel does the math. I just, you know, I set them up and Excel knocks them down. That's how I like my formulas. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we've, uh, the concept of seasons is a little bit meaningless for us, but I mean, I suppose it a little bit is on Netflix too, uh, cause things just come out. Well, I don't know. Maybe if, if only we could ask someone why things come out when they come out. <laughs> Do you have any idea who we could ask, Lauren? Uh, well, I think we should maybe talk to one of our, our friends at DreamWorks. Do we have any of those left? Do they still talk to us? I don't know. I seem to remember we had lunch with them and uh, and we exhausted their patience for us. <laughs> Podcast over. Wait, we might have one left, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, joining us on the line from Los Angeles, California. Everybody, please welcome to the show, uh, Rebecca Goldberg. Ooh. Hi, longtime listener, first time caller. Rebecca Ooh. is the uh, director of current series, and we were talking off mic about the fact that we don't really know what that means. Yeah, uh, so director of current series is a like Greg's executive in charge of production title, kind of misleading. Essentially, it means that I work in the current series department here at DreamWorks TV to help oversee the creative on our shows and. Um, work with the rest of the company to make sure they know what's going on and are really excited about what we're doing and that everything is working together on the shows. So uh, Greg and I work closely as a team on Shira, uh, where I like to think of us as professional fan boys and girls on the show. Um, Greg didn't strike <laughs> me that way, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, we we like to call ourselves the first super fans of Shira and the Princesses of Power, which I, some people might quibble with, but uh, I think it's at least a small group. Um, and a director, uh, so, a director of current series is series plural. Yes, uh, current series department is where we work. So we, uh, as a department, oversee everything that's going on over here at DreamWorks. Uh, at least for six to 11 year olds, we have a preschool department that's separate. And, uh, and most of us are working on four ish shows at a time that are all sort of in different stages of production. I have to warn you, Lauren and I are slightly outside of your six to 11 year old demo. (laughs) What? 11 year olds and Lauren and Eric. (laughs) You guys are not alone. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm watching our shows too and very into them. So it doesn't mean that people over 11 can't watch, but within, uh, industry parlance it's six to eleven well we've been getting all of the press releases from dreamworks ever since we met you guys and there's a couple other shows that i know you're excited about um there was a jurassic park related press release was there a fast and the furious there was uh greg and i actually work on that as well it's called fast and furious spy racers and it's coming to netflix pretty soon so I'm very excited about that. We are both big Fast and Furious fans. That's really cool because I feel like those movies are low-key superhero movies. You know, like yes. they don't wear the costumes, but everything else is superhero. Yeah, the uh, the world is, is has elastic laws of physics, I would say. Absolutely. <laughs> it's more and more cartoony. And now it's almost as if they've told all of the stories they could tell in cinema. And they're like, what do we do now? Age it down, I guess? <laughs> A new audience. 
Yeah, this reminds me of like when I was a kid and Terminator 2 had toys, and my mom was like, you can't have those. That's an R-rated movie. But I'm like, but look, the toys look really cool. Mom, this so, is a toy. Right? <laughs> yeah. So Fast and the Furious, the cartoon, I assume, is, it is not uh, R or even PG-13, though. No, it is It is for the exact situation you just described, so that kids who are excited about the idea of Fast and Furious can check something out that's made just for them. And uh, it's super, still super cool and uh, feels a lot like the movies, but uh, is animated and, and has younger characters. And uh, it's, it's super fun. It's awesome. That's really great. We just had such a fun talk last week with our professor friend, Zach, about toxic fandoms and how reboots or remakes of established properties often stir up some less than cool fan discourse but i'm having a really hard time imagining fast and furious people like getting on the forum and fixing a cartoon you might have found the antidote <laughs> pick a property that people haven't decided their childhood's worth is based on which is kind of wild because it's almost a 20 year old franchise but it doesn't have that that core yet I think. I mean, I'm a I'm a super fan of it, and I am a super fan of the show. So hopefully, that's the secret. <laughs> that's really cool. And somewhere, it's, somewhere, there's an 18 year old whose childhood you're already ruining. It's like a perfect show for like parents who are into the movies to watch with their kids, who maybe are just you know a little on the young side to experience Vin Diesel and all of his violent glory. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Hopefully, there's nothing where they feel like they have to cover their child's eyes yeah. because there's a. Uh, a scantily clad woman starting the race. I don't think I can watch this show. I'm sorry. Uh, Uh-oh. Are we turning into a Fast and Furious podcast? I was just going to say, thanks for coming to our Fast and Furious podcast. <laughs> we already told the story on this show, but my favorite tale from L.A. was when Greg explained that there was a horse in Spirit Riding Free that was, like, taken away at an act break and then kids it was spirit so torn up and so sad and i think about that all the time (laughs) (laughs) a lot of intense stuff happens on that show but kids love it and i I, it's a it's a great show but yes it was uh people were a little a little worried for a second there so uh we are all here to talk about a show with a different horse though also named spirit (laughs) i'm Ever since last episode when we said the fandom and even some of the creators don't like Swiftwind, I'm now watching the show that way. (laughs) And it's completely changed how I read all of that character's lines, all of his line delivery. He is ruined for me. I still love him. I think... I think I think people on the crew still still love Swiftwind. He always makes me laugh. I like his. I, I like that they kind of maybe the way you can read it is that part of his personality is he sort of bursts into situations without regard of uh, people asking him to be there. So maybe that's you know where you can draw a parallel. But I think he's <laughs> hilarious. And there's there's a really good episode. Uh, later in the season where Swiftwind has a lot of fun stuff to do. Uh, keeping on She-Ra for a second, were you at all, we always ask, were you at all familiar with the original series or was this kind of your intro to, uh, to the world of Princesses of Power? This was kind of my intro. It was a little uh, before my time, unfortunately. Um, but what was funny is when we started working on it, because uh, I'm a comic book fan and I, I will do a deep dive on a wiki, uh, Greg and I decided he was going to go in pretty clean and I was going to do some research. So uh, I read like the DC Comics and I, uh, I got the giant character compendium that I referred to often during the production of the show. And 
uh, I uh, watched watched the, some of the old series, and uh, it was fun to to dive into it, and and especially a world where it had been so expanded while I wasn't looking, and there's so many different elements of it. I love how in that character compendium, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it goes into like what the backstories are in every iteration of of motu uh so it was really fun to see how the writers were pulling from different parts of it and it, not just from the animated series but from you know radio plays and magazines and and everything that was available to make this new thing which yeah. as a comic book person i think is really appealing as a way to approach a character isn't it fascinating because it's continuities that i is like and you know someone who has loved he-man their whole life Tons of continuities I had no idea existed, like literally like German audio plays, like yeah. cassettes that you would get with a book in Germany that would tell the story. And I had like a rich continuity that like, I'm pretty sure that's where um, Anti-He-Man comes from in, in the series Tim Seeley told us about <laughs> this season. But it, it's, I love those Dark Horse books. They are so, so well researched. I actually looked in one this morning uh, to see if the uh, Chamber of Queens had any history but let me ask you since you mentioned you're a comic fan your skype avatar is of i believe the barry allen flash so it is yeah <laughs> is, is barry your your chosen flash no it's wally I, yes i am a <laughs> wally guy um, oh you tried to gotcha her and she didn't take it. <laughs> no not gotcha. bart's we're, my number two we're just sharing our love oh i love bart too <laughs> who um, doesn't anyway <laughs> let's get back to she-ra again <laughs> I, no I have varied interests. What can I say? Yeah, no never asked me to talk about the Flash. This is a really <laughs> good season for Eric so far. Discovering <laughs> that like people like the things other than Shira that he enjoys. Yeah. I'm just happy that it's happening. I I do have to tell you, I listened to that episode this morning, and um, <laughs> I, my my parents were introduced by Max Weinberg. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from New Jersey, and I have very deep New Jersey bona fides. Oh, my God. Well, and then someone else who is coming up in this season later, who we won't name, uh, messaged Lauren and I today to tell us that she is also a big Bruce Springsteen fan. I was like, see, there you go. Season of Bruce. Sorry, Lauren. (laughs) Sorry, Lauren. I don't know what that means. It's always the season of the boss. (laughs) I agree. She-Ra. So, this is season. Wait, here's a transition. Yeah. Uh. Etheria has a new boss. <laughs> very <Taylor>. nice. <laughs> a plus podcast. Very spicy. <laughs> Meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. So season four, before we dive into coronation in particular, uh, do you have any kind of I don't know. What do you want to, our listeners to know about season four in general? Like, what what was the process like of, of making this season, or what can they be looking forward to? Obviously, season three left on kind of a unresolved note. Hmm. I think um, this season is is I would argue our biggest season yet. Not just because it's back to thirteen episodes, but it is so full of big changes to the status quo, um, things that you've been waiting to happen. Uh, for a long time. And, and I, nothing sort of resets after this, nothing is the same after this season, there are big changes that stick and change the fabric of the show to something I'm really excited for people to see. Um, and also three 
of my favorite characters are featured in this season and, and double trouble is the only one I could name because the other two are spoilers, <laughs> but, um, uh, double trouble is incredible, such a fun character. And, uh, they, it's so, it's so fun to bring a character in who's like, what's going on here and can sort of read everybody to rights of, uh, the drama that they've been embroiled in. So it's, it's a super fun season. There's hilarious episodes. There's emotional episodes. Um, it's a huge roller coaster, and I don't think people have any idea what's coming. I'm glad to hear you say that because something I noticed is that the, uh, coronation itself, it's kind of a comedy for mm-hmm. at, least, at least half, if not two thirds of it. And I thought that was a really fascinating choice. Do you have any kind of insight or, or thoughts onto the decision to come back on an episode that it, on the one hand has such grave housekeeping to do, but on the other hand is, is almost this like comedy of errors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like a whole farce. I think when you bring all the princesses together, their tendency is to go farce. Um, so <laughs> we enjoy that, but, but yeah, I think, um, you know, the Angela's sacrifice was such a huge emotional moment and we didn't, we, we took, we took effort to not sort of dwell in that for, for a very long time in the, in the grief of it. I think it still is absolutely an element of the season and it is a huge part of Glimmer's arc, but, but you don't want to feel like you're sort of just drowning in, in sadness, even though it was such a, a huge event. So it was, I think the writers did an incredible job balancing that. Uh, Laurie Srebny wrote this episode and um, she did a great job balancing the, the comedic moments and also so that the emotional moments do really hit hard because you almost forget for a second that, you know, Glimmer's really going through it. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's like a great way to, to close the loop on season three and also setting up the, the arcs coming forward while also feeling like the show, because we do always try to include comedy and, and lighthearted moments in the show. I think it's part of its DNA. Life goes on, you know, like regardless (laughs) of the, the horrible thing that happened that the characters aren't yet addressing, like things will keep going on in the world. And I like the, um, the comedy as, as like reassuring, but also, um, and, and it's like in world tone deafness of like, this is not what we need to be doing. I don't know. It is a really interesting balance there. I yeah, thought that's that was one of really the cool. main themes is life does go on, but do we want it to? And if so, how quickly? Um, if possible, now that we learned that some of our friends at home are listening along with us, can we hit a quick like summary? Oh, yeah. Uh, hopefully people have watched the episode, but just in case. So... Coronation, uh, premiere of season four. Essentially, it is about Glimmer's coronation since at the end of last season, as we carelessly spoiled, uh, Angela <laughs> died to save Etheria, or rather is gone, uh, presumed dead. And so this episode involves uh, Glimmer coming to the throne through a very kind of uh, farcical, like uh, highly programmed uh, coronation ceremony put on by her Aunt Casta, which I'm excited that Casta Spella seems to have a pretty big role here but anyway all the princesses try to help in various not great ways Bo and Adora mostly try to help by not letting Glimmer think about the reason this is all happening and that kind of collapses on them in a really harrowing moment uh, when uh, Glimmer goes to grab the crown from the chamber of queens which is like this quest she has to go on to complete her ascension the end 
I mean, there's more, obviously, but... Yeah, there's a whole Hordak thing, but I guess we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> so, one of the things that um, is important about the coronation is that it allows Glimmer to take the full power of the runestone that she used to share with her mother. And she has maybe not so much chronologically been putting it off, but certainly emotionally been putting off the fact that she's going to have to do this. We discover she hasn't been recharging her powers. Uh, almost, almost like, I guess it's a phase of grief, you know? She hasn't quite accepted that Angela's gone, because if she did, maybe this wouldn't be so hard. So with all the comedies surrounding us, there is just this incredibly sad glimmer who I really felt for throughout this entire episode. It actually does a really interesting job setting up this theme of glimmer and her power and power in general that I think is kind of like low key, the kickstart of her arc for the season. So I don't want to spoil anything, but I think um, glimmer is like still thinking about what it means to take on power as queen and take on the power of the moonstone and um, how she's going to use it and, and how it impacts her uh, relationships with her friends. And we talked last episode about her kind of visual evolution as well. I, I think her new design is fantastic, and it really plays into this idea that she's um, becoming a little more mature or having maturity foisted upon her. But there's also that wonderful visual of her in this giant coronation robe that just super doesn't fit. And, like, what a good way to make the metaphor explicit of, like, I'm not ready to wear these clothes. I love what you had to say about power, because half the comedy of this episode is princesses with powers using them in non-intuitive and perhaps even wrong ways. There's <laughs> conflict about who's going to do the flowers, and Mermista ends up with that duty for some reason. Even though Perfuma is watching crestfall like in the background. And like having a breakdown in the background, yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> and maybe Frosta is an effective bouncer, but goes way overboard, and she's freezing Seahawk and their friends. And it, it was really Frosta, by the way, that made me think this is an episode for kids. Her, like, constant uh, reiterating of the, just the word bouncer was very, like, I'm imagining all the two- and four-year-olds that I know running around their houses and saying that over and over after they watch this episode. Oh, my God. I request videos of that from anybody who wants to share. Uh, it's so funny. I feel like the bouncer bit is such a core part of Frosta in my mind that it's kind of wild. It comes this far into the series because it's like, oh, yeah, that's, of course, her personality. <laughs> and it continues this like hero worship of Glimmer she has is she just wants to be Glimmer's buddy and partner. And she makes this giant ice sculpture of Glimmer whose head literally falls off when Glimmer loses her cool. Again, really, this episode is so great at making metaphors uh, manifest. <laughs> we also see the uh, sword turn into a mop, which I appreciated. It was very useful. Yes, I quite love that. Mermista vases! Don't stifle my creativity! Oh, please. It's okay. We will handle everything. You go have fun! Fun. Right. So Rebecca is definitely saying there are some characters we haven't met yet, right? And I had a really keen eye on the opening, and there were some changes. Yes. Namely, at the very end, 
we see the addition of Mara and Flutterina in the main sort of squad. But the sort of pan upward of the horde is also different. We see Catra's new design, we see Double Trouble, um, and most striking to me is just a miserable looking Scorpia. Scorpia looks devastated in the opening shot, which made me feel really bad for her. Like, if they framed her that way in the theme song, she's probably going to have a bad time. Well, and that's seated here, isn't it? Like, there's one confrontation between Catra and Scorpia that is really... Like, they've always had a prickly relationship on Catra's side, but it's pretty just straight-up aggressive. Yeah, that exchange was not okay. So if we want to flip and go to talk about sort of where the Horde is at now, because we covered the princesses pretty well, we see Hordak moping. Uh, he's obviously having a, a hell of a time losing Entrapta and being betrayed by her, or so he thinks. But that scene with Scorpia and Catra... Catra downright gaslights Scorpia. I think the most textbook example of like gaslighting or that type of abuse that we've seen in this show, she literally tells Scorpia to ignore what her eyes have seen and start seeing reality this other way, which is entrapped as a traitor and pulling the lever and opening that whole other universe-destroying uh, last two episodes was a win as opposed to a huge loss on Catra's part. And she's like, think of it this way now. That's what you're going to do. That's that's what reality is. And Scorpia can barely say anything. Scorpio hardly does anything in this scene other than just be rightfully upset. But we do get to see Emily, which if there was one part in this episode that like made me actually get tears in my eyes, it was that Emily Aww. is still around. That was a delightful surprise. It's such a sweet moment. Lauren Ash is amazing in that scene. So is is Scorpia Emily a new ship? I just I feel like every pairing is a potential. <laughs> no, okay. No. Lauren has such a disapproving look in her eyes. <laughs> Rebecca, do you have any favorite ships? I feel like we have to ask. It's such a huge part of the fandom. It's weird. I kind of don't. I mean, there's some that some pairings that I enjoy seeing, but um, so much I think of my job has been being inside the show as it is that I am kind of just along for the ride. So uh, things that happen in the show, I'm excited about, but I, I don't know if there's anywhere I have like elaborate head cannons. The one I keep joking to Noel about is um Light Hope and Mara. <laughs> um, but uh but I, I don't have super strong emotional feelings. It's more uh it's more just it makes me laugh. Glowy nice. hologram ship. <laughs> My feeling is if, if there are any Catroscorpia shippers out there, this episode hopefully jarred something loose a little bit because this is not looks like it's not gonna come back from the brink here. I'm really glad for just myself in that what I established in the last episode was that I did not want to see Catra Dora because I feel like Catra is really far gone. Man, is she ever in this episode. This is a horrific Catra. I caught a bunch of micro moments of hers that were very interesting. Um, one, after Hordak sort of tears into her and is like, the only reason you're still alive, the only reason you're still standing is because... The signal to Horde Prime did get out there, and they have some screaming feelings about Entrapta. And the door closes, 
And just as the door is shutting Katra out of the room, for a half second she smiles. And I loved that little character moment because I think Katra won in that scene. She basically didn't get fired. She didn't get hurt. And Hordak believes her. So it's sort of a a lost battle, but a won war, and it's on her face. And I loved that animation choice. One that was a little bit more maybe in my head, I don't know if it's real, is they chose to show Katra's face right when Hordak said, there will be no more princesses in the Fright Zone. They show Katra. And I, in my in my head canon, it's because Adora's a princess, and that is kind of an order that Adora can't come back. Mm. And I wondered if maybe she had a, a twinge in her heart at all about the fact that Adora's not going to be allowed back in. But that might not have been in that scene at all. That's just what I was thinking. I, I don't know. <laughs> that could have been the intention. I, I, I won't discount it. That's Yeah, that's solid. I, I just love her new outfit. I think it's so slick. So yeah. And that Hey Hordak. Ooh. Yeah. We did hear that Entrapped is on Beast Island, by the way. Oh, yeah. If, if In case nobody caught that, that's where she's gone. But yeah, basically at the end, Catra forces herself into kind of co-horde leader. Uh, with a series of threats and aggressions on Hordak, taking his power gem and basically letting him know when Horde Prime shows up, uh, he's going to be just as mad at Hordak for his failure as Hordak has been at others for their failure. So, new status quo. Uh, Catra's the leader. Scorpius disillusioned and trapped us on Beast Island. And Shadow Weaver is just chilling in the palace. Yeah, she had some good lines for the 20 seconds she was on screen. She uh, was explaining how power changes people and was already starting to seed some doubts in the friendship between the best friend squad. And I thought that was a really uh, ballsy choice on her part. Mm-hmm. You know, these are <laughs> the only people who will take you in right now and starting to puppet them and sow discontentment in them. Gosh, you're a brave, Shadow Weaver. Yeah, it's like, is she... Um purposely up to her old tricks or just can she not shed you know her style of relating to people who can say both (laughs) yeah the answer is yes (laughs) (laughs) all right you heard it here the answer is the answer is yes (laughs) there's no need to be alarmed i'm a guest now can't you tell please convey my best wishes to our new queen I hope you two are still close. Power changes people. Glimmer is a good friend. She'll be a good queen, too. Hmm. I hope for your sake you're right. Before we wrap on the episode, I'd like to bring it back to the emotional themes and just say that I felt like this episode does a really great job. It's like a really real look at... um, dealing with grief not just as yourself but like when your friends are going through something like i thought it rang very true that adora and Bo were trying so hard to help glimmer but had absolutely no idea how to do that because i think we've all been in both positions of like being the one suffering but also like trying to help the one who's suffering and being like uh you know like i'm here for you but i'm fully impotent i have no idea what to do yeah i think it's it's really cool to show the three of them who are such close friends and always, you know, there for each other that they don't always know the right thing to say when the going gets tough. And, um, 
that that can create distance between them or it can bring them closer together. But but it's always so charming to me to see Adora and Bo kind of mess up. Because <laughs> yeah. like Adora has her weaknesses in terms of like not totally getting uh, emo- familial emotions all the time. And, and Bo has his weaknesses where he just wants everybody to be happy. And uh, and this was sort of like the ultimate challenge for both of them on that. Oh, that's really true. Yeah, it's like a perfect storm of their their friendship shortcomings. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad to hear wanting everyone be happy framed as a weakness. Oh. <laughs> that's not what I meant. <laughs> He's just inflexible in that way. That's true. I want to point out that that is being said by someone who just told me that they're suspicious of people with kind eyes. <laughs> so, beware the source. Um, there's also in, in the... Uh, emotional denouement of the episode if i may use such a term the um <laughs> there's a killer line i absolutely loved when the angela hologram said to glimmer i have done my best to prepare you to rule but you are always ready to lead like damn yeah that's poetry and again with the the metaphors that are really heavy-handed in this episode Glimmer then gets her wings. We see her wings. Yes, kind of symbolically, but can she manifest light wings? Like, I don't know. I guess we'll find out if she can literally do that. Yeah, we've had some questions from listeners about, like, Angela genetically. Like, what does that mean for for Glimmer? I hope it sticks now that she has the full power of her runestone. I will say, I, I don't know if we necessarily satisfactorily answer that question about what Glimmer's genetics are like. <laughs> She's mostly just Glimmer. Yeah. It's magic. That's yeah, exactly. I was delighted by lots of um, artistic choices in this episode. We got to see the prom outfits again, which I love. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, in the background of the coronation, we see some of those same like fun DreamWorks people and, and characters like the coffee princesses back in there. She co-directed this episode. That's Diana Ha. Oh. And uh, also, there is a shot uh, where we see Bo's parents. Did you catch them? No. Yes. When They're so happy for Glimmer. I know. So it's like when Glimmer is walking down the aisle, sort of bride style, and we see the shot from her eyes, um, off to the left of the screen are uh, Bo's dads. And they're both like holding each other, but also, like, giving her a thumbs up, like, looking so proud. It's the cutest picture of them ever. Oh, that's so charming. <laughs> I love, narratively, the um, kind of lack of She-Ra or the minimal use of She-Ra in this episode that I think we've seen in the last few. I like that, I'm sure we've talked about this, but filmation for budgetary and, like, audience manipulation reasons felt a pressure to put at least one, if not two or three transformation sequences, you know, full sequences in every episode. But I like that this show just like lets Adora be Adora and She-Ra is a tool. It's not so the funny star. that you say that the last thing I wanted to talk about was how disappointed I was that I didn't get to see a transformation sequence. Really? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to see it every episode, right? I, I feel like watching the exact same animation over and over is quite redundant. But I'm speaking from a very nostalgic place, which is me watching Sailor Moon as a kid. Not knowing the budgetary money-saving trick that is transformation sequences and uh, attack animations in anime, 
I was completely here for every transformation sequence in Sailor Moon and every attack animation. And you would sometimes watch like five women go through their transformation sequences <laughs> in a row. It was like a long, long thing to watch. And as a child, I don't know if it's something about your kid brain just loving to see the same things over and over. Like kids today can watch Baby Shark a hundred times. I feel like there's a part of me that just really latched onto that. And I'm sad kids today don't get to latch onto that too. We're not showing it. Even in the season opener. That was a long sentence. <laughs> I do think kids at least have the option now to go to YouTube and watch it over and over. If they want to. That is true. I, <laughs> I, no I imprinted on that Sailor Moon sequence, too. I didn't watch the show a ton, but that sequence really stuck in my mind. So I, I get where you're coming from. But I, I think Noel and the, the writers and directors are really mindful about where it fits and where it doesn't. Like, I think, um, Eric, you're totally right about sometimes Shira isn't needed and, and we don't need to sort of shoehorn her in if it's just Adora. But um, also I think Noelle is, is really mindful of what are the right moments to cut to a transformation and what are the right moments to just flash and she's Shira. Um, when does the transformation sequence break the tension of the moment? And I think as the stories get, you know, more and more serialized uh, starting with season three and, and more and more tense moments where Shira is needed, um, it would feel odd, I think, to have them in there, even though I agree that they are very fun. Oh, yeah. And it, it felt odd in Sailor Moon, too, because they would happen in moments of high urgency. And you used to wonder, like, what are the bad guys doing right now? <laughs> watching this? I don't understand. <laughs> I'm sure I've said this, but my favorite transformation, I think, in any of the Motu pop canon is... Uh, into Etheria, where the the rebels are going up against the horde with Prince Adam, and Adam turns into He-Man, and that's like the coolest because you know the horde has never seen anything like that. And I think there the transformation sequence like gets you pumped for this battle where you have no idea what's going to happen. But so many times I'm just like, all right, we get it, you know, like you just saved sixty seconds on on your animation cost. <laughs> So. And, and in defense of the choice, this was very much Glimmer's story. Right, exactly. So I, I just think deploying the transformations at dramatically appropriate moments makes them so much cooler. Because like, sometimes if I'm feeling down, I'll just watch that moment from Into Etheria. And even though He-Man is sexist towards Scorpio, I'm like, this is still fucking cool. <laughs> I'll also tease that there's... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'll also tease that there is some uh, fun to be had with the transformation sequence, uh, at least once in this season where we see somebody react to it as it, it's happening. And it's uh, it's pretty fun. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my last comment on the episode is I appreciate that the episode goes hard in favor of ice cream cake. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Being Becoming lactose intolerant is one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. Oh, <laughs> There's no time to waste. You must make a decision. We're here for you. Uh, that one! <sighs> the future queen has spoken. At Glimmer's coronation, we will be serving ice cream cake! Well, this was a lovely talk. Rebecca, is there anything else you'd like to add about the episode or about your time on She-Ra or really anything else? 
I, I do want to shout out the crowd who was at the panel at New York Comic Con where oh, we screened yeah. this episode. Um, it was so much fun to watch. Uh, they had no idea they were going to see a full episode and hadn't seen anything from the season. The new looks were a surprise. Um, the plot of the episode was a surprise and, uh, I sat in the crowd and it was, it, it was a great time. So thanks to the, uh, lovely girls I sat next to who were like screaming and crying the whole time. <laughs> it was a, it was a wonderful experience. What were the parts that got like the biggest response? Um, definitely the reveals of the new looks were huge. Um, Katra in general, the ending with Katra was huge. Um, there was also a little bit of a technical snafu in the middle, so the crowd rolled with it and cheered along even when the audio was not correct. Oh. Um, but but the jokes got huge laughs, and the I, I, it was it was just a really fun uh, experience to watch it. So you got um, to moderate a panel as well. Was it at PowerCon? It, it was at PowerCon, yeah, with all the writers. That was super fun, which oh, is uh, on on YouTube if you search for it. <laughs> How was that different? from New York Comic Con, like the Motu sort of exclusive fandom versus a convention where every fandom is? I mean, the biggest difference was rather than uh, the panel being Noel and the actors who are all amazing, um, this was an opportunity to talk in depth with the writers. It was right after season three had come out. So, um, So everyone got to talk about their experiences writing on the show and how decisions came along. Josie talked about uh, Entrapped Deck, and uh, we uh, got some great questions from from folks who were there, Who some people who were fans of the original who were skeptical at the beginning, uh, some who had questions about the current show. So it was it was an awesome experience to, to chat directly with, especially the classic Motu fans, a lot of people saying that that uh, the show won them over and that they're fans of it, uh, and uh, it was it was a great experience. So last episode we talked about kind of the dark side of fandom, but I think that you're speaking to the the bright side, and it's it's just so lovely that like uh, people have been so supportive in in these public venues, and I mean Lauren and I have gotten only a small percent of that, but everyone who talks to us is also just like the nicest, kindest person. So. Hey, Shira fans, even though we had an academic come on and talk about how there's, how there's some failures in the fandom, y'all are doing pretty great. We and it's also, yeah, we do. And it's also just so great to talk to people about the show when we were making it in secret for like two years, uh, even longer for Noelle when she was developing. So it's just honestly still surreal to talk to people about what happens in these episodes. Um, and uh, I never get sick of it. So please continue. <laughs> well, by the time everyone hears this, the season will be out and we'll all have digested it and loved it. And uh, yeah, you heard Rebecca, keep up the the support and um Please talk about it. Like Lauren and I are old and busy. So if there was like another Shira podcast that started that was like younger and hipper, we'd be super on board with that. <laughs> and I, I will listen to infinite Shira podcasts. It, there you go. And then you we'll got one listener. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank, thank you guys for having me. It's an honor. Oh, it's an honor of Grayskull. <laughs> oh, there you go. Can't believe I didn't say it. Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.
more than one person I've met on Tinder has listened to this with no context because they wanted to impress me. I was going to say, wow, like, uh, I'm going to listen to something <laughs> this person I think is cute is doing. And I kept being like, please don't. You won't get it. It will mean nothing to you. Over and over. 